You're listening to Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan, a For the Now media production. Welcome aboard to your number one favourite, the Null and Void Sports Podcast. I have the great honour of telling you about tonight's episode 103. As you would expect, with football and rugby seasons coming to a conclusion, there's lots to digest, but also many other sports with some fascinating stories going with them. Andy's got a great, a great get a grip. My name is Tony Grundy. And mine's Andy Callahan. Now, over the weekend, it was a range of sports for me. I don't know about you, but I, I watched um, golf, netball, WSL football, Premier League uh, football, whilst my gardening tasks involved masses of troublesome nettles invading from a neighbour's garden. The problem being, in warm weather, when you're hacking them down, you still have to cover yourself really well. So it's very, very warm work. Otherwise, you get stung to death. And even when you do that, it really still, your hands are stinging afterwards. So weed killer is next for that lot. And since I did that, I I trip up north to see my gorgeous uh, nieces. I had a great time with them and they consumed large quantities of ice cream. Had a great <laughs> really nice. Now, come uh, on, Tony, admit it. The real reason that you got up to Manchester in the last couple of days, I know, is because you were so desperate to see the Manchester City victory parade with them parading the Premier League title. That was the real reason, wasn't it? I've avoided every single opportunity <laughs> to watch that. I, 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 I think I'm try to be as balanced as I can, but when it comes to do you want to watch a match where at the end of it they're going to be presented with a trophy? No. So yeah. I haven't seen any of that. I've just blanked it. I, I think the phrase, I'd rather poop in my hands and clap, springs yeah. to mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very cultured, yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, how about you? What were you doing? Well, I had a major gardening fail at the weekend. I'd taken the fly mow out to mow my little patch of grass. As we've said before, nothing compared with the grounds and the estate at Grundy Manors. So uh, I'd got the fly mow set up, pulled the handle, nothing. So I checked all of the plugs. I checked that it was set up. I had it turned upside down, checking everything with it. Um, Only to then get a text from Southern Electric to say, We've been made aware of a power cut in your area. We are working to fix it, and uh, the power should be on sometime in the next three hours. So uh, it was nothing to do with anything I'd done or not done. There'd actually been a power cut, and I hadn't noticed. So um, major gardening fell for me. But around power cuts, I was able to watch football, rugby union, and rugby league, and actually the final of the National um, Premier Wheelchair Basketball Championships. Excellent. Excellent. Talking about Premier League, we're one week to go of the uh, season and we've got worthy winners, I have to say that. Um, Manchester City, they were the best team throughout the season, there's no doubt about that. Um, and they won, ironically, without having to play Arsenal losing at Nottingham Forest. So by the time they got to that game, they are already in celebratory mode. Mind you, at the same time, with that Arsenal uh, uh, loss, Nottingham Forest stayed up. And I'm, I'm quite pleased about that. I think you and mm. I have concurred on that before, that we quite like Nottingham Forest and the way they've done things. And their manager, Steve Cooper, is very low-key, but he, he, he's done a good job. 
He's done a good job. Very much so, yeah. I mean, the the fight at the bottom goes on, and that will go to the final week after some of the results over the weekend. But uh be well, interesting that's, that's, to see who stays up and who goes. There, yeah, you've got, you know, Leicester, uh, Leeds and Everton. And what you can definitely say is out of those three, two of them are going down. Uh, but which two? You cannot say at this point. Everton are probably in the strongest position in terms of standing on points at the moment, but they're, and they're at home on the last game. But the, for, for null and voiders that don't follow football, the intriguing thing about the last day is that it kicks. They all kick off at the same time, so everybody can see what the others are doing moment to moment. And with social media these days, the fans are clued in, and it. The difference between staying up and going down is actually a hundred million pound plus. So it's one of those moments where, you, if you're not interested just to see the drama, that is fascinating in itself. What mm. that means, though, in uh, the Premier League at the top, though, is Newcastle are in the Champions League next season. Can you imagine us saying that at the start and laughing? You know, at the start of the season. I mean, it's brilliant. It's the first time in 20 years. I mean, the last time Newcastle were in the Champions League, Alan Shearer wasn't just still playing, he still had hair. And in fact, Sir Bobby Robson was in charge of managing them. That's how long ago it was. So, yeah, it's great. I mean, I think, you know, obviously Manchester United can secure their Champions League place when they play. And then uh, that will leave Liverpool out of the top four, which I think both of us are happy about for different I'm, reasons. I'm, I'm more more than happy about that. But always the last day, it's full of drama. That's Sunday, and they all kick off at uh, three o'clock, I think. Mm. So it's three o'clock, but well, well worth watching or listening in uh, because as the drama unfolds. The t- in terms of t- teams coming up, you've got Burnley and Sheffield United, but actually... The, the intriguing one for me is the tie outstanding at Wembley, Coventry against Luton. And neither of them are particularly fashionable clubs. But if you take Coventry City, uh, they were at the bottom of the league at the start of the season. They had problems with their ground because the ground share with Wasp, the pitch was unfit, and all sorts of kerfuffles going on there. And then Wasp themselves, the rugby team, um, effectively has gone out of existence. You know, so... Mm-hmm real drama and, and there and there they are 90 minutes or so away from Premier League football and the other I mean, weird Luton, thing- I'd love to see Luton win that one I will admit you know Luton Town were when I first started following football in the 80s were a top flight club they had they were the first ones I think or one of the first ones to put in a plastic pitch and they were the ones that brought in identity cards under the Moynihan Thatcher ruling and banned away fans with the hooliganism problems. So they were, again, very unfashionable, but won the League Cup in 88, beating Arsenal in the final, I think, Um, and then almost tumbled year on year, division by division, when they fell out of the top flight before it became the Premier League. Um, And then, you know, what seven or eight years ago, they were actually in the the non-league, in the conference, Um, and they clawed their way right the way back up and hopefully back up into the top flight because a ground like Kenilworth Road, where actually one of the entrances is in a street of terraced houses and in between just the front doors of two houses. I think something like that would be a real throwback in the modern era of the Premier League. 
Am I right in thinking their ground actually doesn't meet Premier League standards? Ooh. I I read that somewhere. I'm sure. Don't know. I don't know. I mean, I I know what all the standards are, and we had a go last week at the RFU for what they are yeah. as rugby's yeah. Premiership, but yeah. I don't know what they are in football. I've got to admit. I mean, it wouldn't have been top of people's lists as a consideration. I would have thought with Luton at the start of the season, but. Tis now, it's 90 minutes away. Mm. I'm sure I read that somewhere, that there are problems in terms of capacity and, and so on. Anyway. And I know they're looking to build a new ground at the old power station site. And if they get into the Premier League, that will move top of their list of priorities if they can secure um, sort of next season. I think, you know, the one year in the Premier League isn't enough to get all the big money. I think it's you know when they when they survive like Forest have done this year, it's mm. the following year that investment. Can I mean, be made either way, Andy, that's a fascinating fixture at weekend. It always is because there's so much at stake, mm. 100 million plus for whoever wins. You know, um, so that will be definitely one to watch this weekend. Uh, WSL um, Chelsea's two 0 uh, win over Arsenal puts them in the box seat as far as winning the WSL league. Manchester United have pushed them all the way. They beat City at weekend 2-1 in the final minutes of added time in a thrilling local derby. Really was a good game. That said, Chelsea, I think, are at home to bottom of the table, Reading. The interesting thing about that is, talking about relegation, Reading have to get a, a win from that to survive relegation. So yeah. a lot, a lot hanging on that. And you never know. On a one-off, you just never know. So we'll see. Okay, uh, next up, I've got cycling, Andy. A lot going on there, of course. Oh, yeah. I mean, the um, Giro d'Italia has been uh, full of drama over the last week since we updated our listeners. So Geraint Thomas is back in the pink jersey, the leader's pink jersey, with the final stages of the Giro this week as they head for Rome on Sunday. Last Friday, he lost the Malia Rosa, after a stunning breakaway by Bruno Bruno Amirel. Um, and the Frenchman's 21-minute breakaway was enough to give him an unexpected stint wearing the uh, leader's jersey. But he was reeled back in by the main contenders over the weekend um, and the stages early this week, which meant he's dropped down to seventh in the rankings now. But as I say, even that's higher than anyone would have expected. But that 21-minute breakaway was enough for him to actually take a, a big lead over the leaders for a couple of days. Um, this year's race has been hit by crashes, by COVID withdrawals. By I think up till today, 44 riders had abandoned the race in the first two weeks in the, in the torrential rain and horrendous conditions that obviously Italy has been hit by. But as the rains turned to sun for the final few stages ahead of Sunday's finale in Rome. Uh, Thomas is currently leading um, the UAE Team Emirates rider, uh, Juan Almeida, um, by 18 seconds, and Primoz Roglic by 29 seconds. So um, I probably butchered the pronunciation of both of those, and we'll be getting <laughs> our regular cycling correspondents in touch to let me know about those. But yeah, at the moment, Geraint Thomas is back in what I can pronounced properly the Malia Rosa, which is the pink jersey as the leader's shirt. 
So in other cycling news, I think the big story of the week is also Mark Cavendish announcing Mm. that he'll be retiring at the end of this season. So at the moment, the Manx missile is um, equal to Eddie Merckx's 34 stage wins on the Tour de France, that record with this year's race still to come. Um, But that's bringing down a curtain on a 19-year career that's included, as I say, the 34 stage wins on the Tour de France. He's twice won the green points jersey in the Tour, the one who's picked up the most classification points. He's also won the points Malia Rosso, the red jersey in the Giro d'Italia, a world championship road race title, and an Olympic silver in the Omnium. So great career, real legend of cycling. I quite liked the early years. I loved his punchy approach to interviews and the media. And then over the later years, he's mellowed and actually become a real fun interview. So, you know, someone who at both ends of his career through very different styles was always really interesting to watch giving interviews and comments on the races. But yeah, I think cycling will be just that slight, little bit slightly poorer for not having Cav, the Manx missile, in the racing next season. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I've got tennis next. Um, and both Andy Murray and Rafa Nadal have withdrawn from the French Open at Roland Garros, which starts on the 28th. Um, the Nadal, Nadal absence is particularly surprising because it's the first time in 19 years he will not be there. It is a tournament he's won 14 times. Whether uh, he or Murray will be fit for Wimbledon remains to be seen. Well, the talk is that Murray withdrawing gives him the best preparation he can have for Wimbledon. Obviously, he had that hip replacement that has taken a yeah. few years to recover from, but the talk is that he was going to take week one while things are happening at Roland Garros to um, rest and recuperate, and then week two to play the Surbiton Challenger event, not quite as high level as the uh, the French Open, I'm, I'm, I must admit, but that's on grass the following week, so it gives him that build-up. Yeah. I mean, interestingly, not only are Murray and Nadal missing the French Open, but also Nick Kyrgios and Matteo Berrettini, so some of the really big names in world tennis are not going to be there. So, yeah. Okay. Um, The Italian Open did conclude at weekend and the women's uh, Ukrainian um, Angelina Kalina um, had to withdraw um, from the final after just one set. So Elena uh, Rabikina won it outright, but she she had to withdraw with injuries. So that was unfortunate. But for Rabikina, it was very good because it put her gave her a top four seeding ahead of the French Open, which will be helpful to her. In the meantime, Daniel Medvedev uh, won for the first time on clay, first time on clay, um, beating uh, Holger Rune. And we mentioned uh, Holger Rune, the Dane, who'd beaten Holger Djokovic on his way to the final. So I said then he may well be become a favourite. Well, he got to the final, but he lost out. Medvedev. Mm. Okay, next up I've got Rugby Union, Andy. What have you got? Yeah, well, I think it was this stage of the year that Sir Alec Ferguson used to call trophy time. Um, And it definitely is because we've had the 
European Champions Cup and Challenge Cup finals this weekend just gone. And this weekend coming up, we've got the Premiership playoff final between Saris and Sale, as well as the United Rugby Championship uh, final between South African team Stormers and Munster from the west of Ireland. So, but this weekend gone, what an amazing Champions Cup final. La Rochelle came back from 17-0 down after just 12 minutes to win by a very tight 27-26 over Leinster at the Aviva Stadium in Dublin. That means that that's back-to-back titles for the French side, La Rochelle and Ronan O'Gara, their head coach, a former Munster player and an Ireland favourite, coming back and haunting his big rivals from down the road, Leinster. I mean, it also condemns the Dublin men to their third final defeat in five years. It was mm-hmm. brilliant. I mean, I was supporting La Rochelle um, all through the final. I think they played some lovely rugby and fought back when they were really on the ropes after that first 12 minutes. The only disappointment for me from the whole of that game and La Rochelle winning was that Johnny Sexton wasn't on the pitch to see his sad little face defeated um, and picking up a loser's medal at the end because he's out injured. So, uh, yeah, that, that was the only disappointment for me. But what a great win by uh, by the French side. And, and the pictures that were coming in from, I don't know where it's the harbour or the port from La Rochelle and coming through, the crowds out there were going wild. I mean, the, the harbour was full. They were watching the big screens, the yellow and black flags flying. It was real great atmosphere. And again, the same in the stadium. Obviously, very much home advantage to the Dublin men and the the lot of support for them, but a great final. And then in the Challenge Cup, um, Sergio Parise signed off his career by helping Toulon beat Glasgow 43-19. So the Italian, who will be 40 in September and has been told that he doesn't form part of Kieran Crowley's plans for the Italian side at this year's World Cup, was playing. So this is likely to be his last final. And he got on the score sheet by barreling over in typical Parise form from close out midway through the first half. So you know, great for him to sign off what's likely to be the last few weeks of his career with the second tier European trophy. And then talking about retirements, mm. two Welsh stars and Ospreys players shocked fans with their sudden retirement announcements within 90 minutes of each other. So um, former Wales captain, former British and Irish Lions captain and current men's record caps holder after 170 matches for the Welsh, Alan Wynne-Jones announced his retirement. Um, There was talk and the rumours coming out of the camp were that he'd been maybe informed that with the presence of other players coming through um, who are in great form at the moment, that his place might have been under threat and that Warren Gatlin was considering not taking him to France. But only 90 minutes earlier, his Ospreys teammate and flanker, Justin Tipperick, had announced his retirement after 93 caps for Wales and one for the British Irish Lions. So two absolute Welsh greats and very good players. And Tipperick was unfortunate. He would have had many, many more caps um, because... I still think he's one of the best open side flankers in recent years in rugby. But of course, he played in the same position as the Welsh captain, Sam Warburton, 
So, you know, he was restricted to maybe appearances off the bench or when Warburton was out injured. But I think a really great player for both Wales and the Ospreys. And obviously, Alan Wynn as well, you know, great player. And one of those that I think when you looked at his name on the team sheet, when you were an opposing fan, it was like, oh, God, that just gives them a lift. But I think, you know, when, when he was on your team as the as a Lions fan and certainly watching when yep. playing as a neutral, then definitely a great, great player. So, yeah, two big losses there for Wales, but it'll be interesting to see how they then shape up in this year's World Cup if Gats was considering not taking them to France in the first place. Yeah, as you say, there may well be an interesting story behind all of that in terms of timing, but, yeah, we'll see more. Uh, rugby league, Andy? Yeah, it was Challenge Cup weekend. So the um, last 16, this is the round where the four clubs that have gone through the earlier rounds are joined by the 12 Super League clubs. So um, the big tie of the weekend was Leeds against Wigan at Headingley. And if you think the week before, Leeds had turned around 17-0 down and then won by uh, 40-odd points. Um, well, Leeds kicked off where they left off in the first half um, and raced into a 14-0 lead. But the pie men of Wigan reeled them back in and avenged the previous week's defeat and won 18-14 in what was a real humdinger. Not many chances um, for either side, but when they did come, they were well taken. So Warrington also won a um, close game, 16-14 against the Catalans, which keeps their hopes of a double alive. St Helens beat lower league team Halifax quite easily and Hull Kingston Rovers swatted aside Batley um, with, with ease. Warrington's search for a first win this season continues after they lost 40-12 to Lee. So they can't win in the league. They can't win in the cup. But York, by beating the London Broncos, did ensure that there was one lower division team in the hat for the quarterfinal draw. So that draw was made on Monday and the top two in the Super League, Warrington and Wigan, have been drawn to play each other. And then the other one, I think York might actually fancy their chances. They're at home to Lee in their game. So I think those are the two to watch. OK, uh, athletics. Uh, now, as you know, on Null Void, we like the slightly unusual different stories. So here's two, actually. First, Cambodian athlete Bo Samang uh, finished a 5,000 metre event, which is fine, but a full six minutes after the winner. The event at the Asian Games in Phnom Penh was concluded in torrential rain. So that might be her excuse, but finishing six minutes after the winner in a three-mile race actually takes some doing. That would probably be me if it was... Uh, uh, I was there, at least that. Anyway, that also uh, would also take some doing is to break seven records in one event. How does that happen? Well, that happened in Pennsylvania, and it was a Masters runner, 75-year-old Greg Dyke, not him, not the BBC ITV. <laughs> I, was say, I can't see him running. No, nor me. Uh, he's been running over six decades, very experienced but in the master's category, <clears throat> in breaking a 100k uh, race in the day, ultra track event. 
What that meant was, in breaking those other records, he broke the 25-kilometer record, the 30-kilometer, 50-kilometer, 20-mile, and 50 miles and 100k times, but also, because he's in the 75 to 79-year-old, broke the record for that age group coming in under 12 hours, 11 hours, 56. Not bad, eh? <laughs> I mean, that, that's a good day's work to take all of those titles, all those records in one go. Yeah, Incredible. When you think about it, obviously you can't possibly have gone out with that in mind, but that's what happened. And, and clearly, uh, well, presumably that will stay for a while. <laughs> anyway, what about the special 10K event over the weekend, the PB ones? How did yeah, that go? Well, talking about PBs, it was the, the race was called the Night of the 10,000 Meter PBs. I mean, talk about a really fancy title. And that was held at London's Parliament Hill. Um, and it was won by uh, the uh, women's race was won by Ethiopia's Mizan Alain Adani um, and broke the meeting record. But importantly for British runner Jessica Warner Judd, she was the first Brit home fourth overall in the women's race. And that qualified her for August's 10,000 metres world championships. And it was her his second successive year of winning that title so you know two sort of ticks in the box for her one that she qualified for the world championships and two that she came home as the first british athlete to win the british title and then in the men's race um paul chalimo from the us uh won the race but his time wasn't quick enough to qualify him for the world championships and then um, the men's UK title was claimed by Scotland's Andrew Butchart, who came home in 10th place. I think, um, what, about 35, 36 seconds behind the winner. So um, but great racing. I've not seen that at, um, at Parliament Hill, but certainly not a flat course. So, uh, mm. yeah, really exciting. The night of the 10,000 metre PBs. Okay, just a, a, an MB, um, Sh uh, Sean Pickering, Welsh uh, Common, Commonwealth uh, Games athlete. In fact, he won a bronze medal in the 1998. Uh, he was a shot putter, um, won, won a bronze medal then, has died at the age of 61. That's just been announced this week. Okay, next up I've got moving to netball, some great games at the weekend. And as the season moves to the conclusion, all top four teams played. Manchester Thunder beat Seven Stars 74-51. Um, London Pulse won at Celtic Dragons. While Surrey Storm beat Loughborough Lightning 64-46. That's significant because that was Loughborough Lightning's last game. So that leaves London Pulse on top, 45 points. Loughborough on 43 the Surrey Storm and Manchester Thunder on 39. Say so Storm have completed their um, Storm have completed their fixtures, whilst the others have two matches to play to determine home, home uh, ground on the playoff semi-finals. So we'll see how that pans out. Also in netball, the top England international netball player Jeeva Mentor, she's got a goalkeeper, um, has announced her impending retirement from the international 
from international netball after this summer's World Cup in Africa. She made 117 appearances for England. She's now 38 years old. And after starting her career at 16 as an international player, that's a terrific career. She started in 2009. Jeeva played in 11 major tournaments. Well, so far, she was part of the 2019 Commonwealth Games gold medal winning team in Australia. In fact, she's played in a record-breaking six Commonwealth Games tournaments. She's definitely be missed. Okay, um, next up, Andy, I've got cricket. Yeah, so um, with the first test of the summer, only a week away, starting next Thursday, England have called up Worcester bowler Josh Tung for the Ireland test. Um, he's been added to the squad to provide cover following injury issues for James Anderson and Ollie Robinson. So they've both been declared fit for selection. Whether they will play or not um, is another question, with obviously the Ashes following quickly on the heels of this Ireland test. But yeah, great to see him being included after a really good start to the yeah. season the fast bowlers had for Worcestershire. So yeah, in the domestic game, we're into T20 mode with the men's Vitality Blast and the Women's Charlotte Edwards Cup having started over the weekend. So we'll watch those games coming thick and fast as they head towards the relative finals. And staying on T20, um, this weekend we'll see the finale of the Indian Premier League for this year. So the Chennai Super Kings beat Gujarat in qualifier one to book their place in Sunday's final. Uh, the Mumbai Indians beat look now super giants in what's called the eliminator for teams in places three and four today. Um, and they'll now play Gujarat later on this week in the second qualifier for a place in the final. So the way it works is teams one and two play off. Yeah. Whoever wins that goes into the final. The loser wins, uh, then plays the winner of teams three and four for yeah. the place in the final. So quite a complicated set up but basically the way it goes is whoever wins out of Gujarat and Mumbai this week will play Chennai Super Kings in the final I think you've got to say after Chennai Super Kings had looked the better side all through the season I think they've got to be favourites but in a one-off game especially 2020 if a team gets a bit of momentum you never know what could happen but yeah that'll be an exciting final this Sunday okay um Oh, yeah. Also, a note on wheelchair basketball again. Yeah, I, I think we've covered basketball before, but we've not covered wheelchair basketball. Yeah. Um, I was watching that on Sunday afternoon um, after the Power Cup. Really exciting. Mm -hmm. So um, London uh, Titans had topped the table of the National Wheelchair Premiership um, at the end of the regular season, and Manchester Revolution had been in second place. So they were playing in the final. Uh, well, Manchester Revolution beat the Titans in a fantastic battle. London were at one point 19 points down at the start of the fourth quarter. Yeah. Really got a bit of momentum behind them and then got back to within two points. And then every time it looked like they were just about to sort of apply that pressure and Manchester were going to break, actually Revolution would 
keep scoring at key points, keep the scoreboard ticking over. And then in the last couple of minutes, managed to hold out to win 63-61 in a really close um, match and to take the title uh, by just two points. But a really good game, really fast moving, very quick. And uh, yeah, certainly something I wish I'd caught a bit more of through the season, but I'll be aware of it for next season. Yeah, it's pretty dramatic stuff, isn't it? Pretty Very dramatic. much so, yeah. Yeah, real high tempo, you know, again, not quite the same sort of clashes that you get in wheelchair rugby, but certainly no quarter given or out no, in those no. games. No. Um, just a quick mention on rowing that uh, as final sport tonight. We we were saying last week, we were talking about it in relation to transgender and the attitudes of different sports, but we mentioned rowing in particular. And of a lot of debate about what rowing was going to do with the, the big season coming up. Um, they'd actually put a vote out to the membership of British Rowing. Uh, uh, not specifically to say yes or no, but actually to get gauge opinions. And the release of that was supposed to be yesterday. And interestingly, because I was saying last week, nobody really wants to talk about this to come out in, in terms of taking sides, as it were. Um, and British Rowing have actually said, we're going to delay that uh, discussion until mid-September. So not even a decision, but discussion till mid-September. So kicking it into the long grass, I guess you could say. It just really makes the point, I think we were emphasising last week, that it's not just rowing, but other sports. But particularly for rowing, that means Henley Regatta and the big events, you know, it, they don't have to have made a decision in advance. So it's put it off. And I think there's going to be a lot of that one way or another. I think it's, it, yeah, it's a very difficult um, decision to make. And I can see all sides of that in terms of people arguing for um, fairness of sport, which we all want in terms of sport to be fair competition. But on the other side, also sport has to be inclusive and open to all. So very much I can see that, you know, as someone who's not affected by the decisions either way, I can see how for those who are affected by those decisions, it could be very, very contentious and very highly charged. So yeah. I think, yeah, it's definitely difficult conversations that many sports governing bodies need to have over this issue over the next couple of years and one that I think will continue as the science evolves, as research evolves. I think, you know, it's something that a decision shouldn't be set in stone and more and more conversations can be had as people look at what the science and the data is telling them. But certainly in terms of, you know, where that leaves competitors. Yeah, I think, you know, very, very difficult conversations and certainly I can see why rowing have looked at, you know, making sure that maybe some of their um, prestige events through the summer aren't dogged by these sort of arguments. It's a, it's a very de delicate one, but clearly uh, as sports podcasters, we'll report on progress or otherwise as it goes along. Um, OK, uh, get a grip, Andy. Uh, who's in the firing line tonight? Well, for the second week running, because they are the gift that keeps giving, is the Rugby yeah. Football Union. But in particular, 
the chief executive officer, Bill Sweeney. So the financial crisis, we're all aware of the financial crisis spreading through rugby that's already seen Wasps and Worcester go to the wall. And in fact, Wasps being demoted now down to level 10 and the very bottom being told they'll have to start at the bottom of the pyramid and work their way back up after their offer of a place in rugby's second tier championship was removed this week by the RFU because of partly financial um, considerations. Likewise, London Irish have been given 10 days to either complete their takeover by a US bidder or to provide proof that they can meet their financial commitments for the 2023-24 season or face a similar fate to Wasps. Mm. However, the governing body's moral high ground around fiscal responsibility, I think, seemed to slide like a pile of sand from under them this week when the chief financial officer and former Red Roses captain, Sue Day, presented the quarterly statement to the RFU Council, showing that the union faces a minimum of £50 million losses across this season and next, which could rise to as much as £78 million once the, R- the private equity group CVC and Compass Group, who have a 45% ownership of all matchday corporate hospitality revenue, take their pound of flesh each. So two years ago, Sue Day warned that post-COVID, and this is the direct quote from her, post-COVID, the RFU faces sizable financial challenges. It will take a number of years to recover from that loss, and our cost base will need to be remain at current levels while we rebuild our reserves, right-size our debt, and regain certainty over future revenues. So Sue Day was letting them know two years ago. However, since then, the chief executive, Bill Sweeney, has signed away 14% of the RFU's annual Six Nations commercial revenue to CVC, the private equity firm, and has also signed off on an unbudgeted 1.5 million spend in severance payment to Eddie Jones and the other England coaches that were sacked when Eddie Jones left in December. Next year, the RFU has to renegotiate the professional game agreement. And for those that aren't familiar with rugby, basically the RFU pays a sum to all of the Premier League clubs for access to the players through international windows so that they're not playing for um, their clubs when they should be either playing for England or in between Mm. uh, Six Nations matches in autumn international matches and things like that. The previous agreement over the last eight years was £200 million. Now, the clubs aren't going to want to settle for less, especially not when they're all facing debts. I mean, the clubs overall, the Premiership is carrying debt of somewhere in the region of 500 million quid. Yeah. And the you know, that 200 million from the RFU is definitely going to fill a big hole of that. But I don't know where Bill Sweeney's proposing to find that sort of money when the RFU are facing significant losses and they've already not just scraped the barrel, but gone through the bottom and are picking up the barnacles on the underside of the barrel. Already some RFU council members have come out and questioned whether Sweeney has the financial acumen required to manage this situation. Remember, this is the chief executive and people are questioning his financial acumen. However, him and the board have actually rejigged the governance structure to mean that they're not held to account by the the full council, 
regarding financials, the council can ask ask questions, but not influence decisions. Remember last year, Bill Sweeney was accused by the Department of Media and Culture, Media, Culture and Sport Select Committee of being asleep on the job as Wasps and Worcester folded. It now seems that his focus on messing around with the tackle height in the amateur game and also allowing Eddie Jones to sign a contract to coach a rival nation that England could well play in the World Cup seems to be not just asleep at the job, but the equivalent of Nero fiddling whilst Rome burned. I mean, in what other industry would the CEO facing a £50 million to £70 million losses over 18 months still be in a job? You know, this has happened under his watch and he's still there. I just, I don't know how. All I can think is that the RFU doesn't stand for Rugby Football Union, but stands for really (laughs) up. So, Bill, please, metaphorically get a grip of yourself and of everything that's going on and actually get a grip of the financial purse strings. If you don't, the whole edifice is going to come tumbling down around you. Not just the professional game and the England international game, but the community game that relies on that funding so much from its supposed governing body. But at the moment, not seeing much governance and actually not seeing much body. So Bill Sweeney, get a grip. And RFU clubs, I would encourage them all to call a special general meeting and actually put a vote of no confidence in this individual. He's definitely not got the financial acumen to pull this off. And under his watch, the RFU has become a shambles. Clubs going to the wall at the top level, funding for the community game, disappearing left, right and centre, and also no support in terms of the laws and changes that they've made. So get a grip, Bill, and clubs, member bodies, constituent bodies, get a grip and get him out. Yeah. Right, Bill, you got that message? Sort yourself out, pal. Right, that brings us to the conclusion for this week's episode. Um, as ever, massive range of sports we're covering, and it is a crucial time, as we've said. Everything's coming to a conclusion. So exciting times, much more information next week. I think next week we've actually got a, a top rowing umpire, a first mm-hmm. on null and void. And he he umpires at the top level. I've absolutely no idea of the role and duties of a top umpire. No, that would be really interesting to find out. Yeah, indeed. Okay, so make sure you're with us next week at a time and a place that suits you. We always do say that. But that's the way podcasts work best. Let's hear from you as well. Get your opinions. Maybe you're a fan of Bill Sweeney, because Andy definitely isn't. Anyway, look forward to being with you. See you next week. Bye. Cheerio, folks. Null and Void with Tony Grundy and Andy Callahan. Together, they don't add up to much. If you have a sports story, you can contact the team on nandv at forthenow.co.uk.